morning, uh, Boston Valley Bible Church uh, members and whoever else uh, might be listening because we're on uh, videotape there. Uh, don't know who may listen to this, but it's intended primarily for the church. Uh, my name is Bob. I'm sitting in room 5B in the church. This is where normally we would have our uh, Sunday class after the church service. It's the middle of July right now, and we don't know how long this is going to last that we are not able to meet as a church. Um, a while back, we thought, well, almost the end, almost the end, we'll get be getting together. Right now, it's uncertain. It may go longer. So I hope you're doing well, uh, physically, certainly, but uh, emotionally, financially, uh, this is a lot of stress with uh, dealing with the virus and this whole situation surrounding it. So uh, Lord, give us patience. Lord, give us wisdom and uh, how we need that, and especially those who are working on uh, cures and all the other medical aspects to this. Boy, praying for those. So I'm glad you're here. Uh, praise the God. Let's, uh, let's start with today's lesson. We're continuing in the series of Knowing God. Uh, today, this is part one of God is Holy, a two-part lesson. Um, my intention is to do one right now, take a pause, then do the second one right afterwards. You won't hear them that way, or at least they won't be uh, published that way. But uh, that's going to be my intention. God is holy. This is one of the most important things that we can say about God. In addition to being so important, it's also one of the most difficult things to understand about God. Like you, I'm on a journey, a journey to know God better. One thing I've learned so far, the end of the journey is not in sight. It's not because we aren't making progress, not because I'm not making progress, but God is infinite. So uh, that end is just not there. There's always more to God than what we can grasp. But he's revealed certain things to us, and we want to learn those and grow in this knowledge and grow in our walk with him. As I was preparing this lesson, I thought of three things from my earlier years, things which are part of my journey. It's personal, but it might be of interest to you. About 65 years ago, that's when I was around nine years old, my mother taught me to pray. Taught me to pray, and specifically, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will be done on earth that is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from evil. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Today we'd say, uh, may your name be, be honored as holy. May your name be kept holy and treated as sacred. Sacred's a good word there. We don't use hollowed much, but sacred is quite good. That, that's number one on my journey as a young person. Second point is uh, I can recall experiencing a real sense of awe upon entering uh, our neighborhood Catholic church when I was young. I was about 12 years old at this time. I attended the church for a year or two, uh, but for the next 10 years, I did not attend church at all. Uh, no church whatsoever. The details of that time period are not important, except uh, I was clearly a sinner. I was normal, but I was a, I was a sinner uh, during that time period. Uh, 
but even though I was doing my own thing for years, I never forgot that sense of awe. The third thing on my journey that, that struck me, strikes me right now, is uh, when I was in my mid-20s, the Lord began to uh, get my attention. Uh, he had always been there, of course, but I finally was beginning to wake up to that fact. And uh, I began attending a Protestant church. Uh, and this is, I, I describe this part of my life, this time of my life, as having one foot in the church and one foot in the world. I'm not proud of that. It's not a, a good way to live. But like many, uh, my conversion was not just instantaneous. There was an in-between time, one foot in and one foot out. As I became convinced of the importance of the Bible, I began, began to get critical of that church because... They're a Protestant church. They believe the right things, but they did not teach the scriptures. After a few years, I left that church and began to attend a good Bible church. At that time in my life, I didn't think I had learned much in that first church. But I know I was wrong in that, of course, but I hadn't realized it. One of the things I learned there is the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. We sang that nearly every Sunday. For a while, it's kind of like, oh, here we go again. But it's so powerful. Do you remember that song? If it, young people may not, older ones probably do. But if the words are fantastic, this is something that was ingrained in me, even though I'd left that church and moved on. A good old one. But I'm going to give you some of the words from that song as we're beginning to look at this idea of God's holiness. Holy, holy, holy. Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. Holy, 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 all the saints adore thee, casting down their golden crowns around the glassy sea, cherubim and seraphim falling down before thee, who was and is and evermore shall be. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, Though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love and purity. The last verse. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty, God in three persons, blessed Trinity. There's a great deal of good theology in that song. Obviously, the repetition of the word holy, but talks about God's mercy, his might, uh, the fact he's a triune God, God who was and is and evermore shall be, that he's eternal, uh, his glory, um, perfect in power and love and purity all together. Remember, we talk about attributes, and it's not just one by themselves, but, but all the attributes together are so fantastic. So I thank God. Um, for that. And those three things, again, that's from my personal experience, but those had an effect on me. And then later, as I grew as a Christian through teaching from others, studying, reading, praying like others, uh, began to get a, a better understanding and, and uh, proceed on, on the journey. Uh, so our journey, our journey right now is continuing. I want to think, first of all, talk first about uh, the importance of God's holiness. Uh, then after that, we'll look at the more difficult thing, beginning to understand his holiness. I don't say understanding, it's beginning to understand. The importance of his holiness is seen, first of all, in the very first petition of the Lord's Prayer. 
when Jesus said, the first thing he said, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Something to start with. I don't mean praying that prayer by rote, just saying the same one over and over, but that attitude right at the beginning of God's holiness. Continuing on with the importance of God, two of my favorite uh, Christian writers, and I've probably mentioned them before and may again, are A.W. Tozer and, and J.I. Packer. Tozer wrote a few books. The classic book of his is The Knowledge of the Holy. He wrote that in 1961. He's talking about different aspects of God, different parts of God's attributes, but that title, The Knowledge of the Holy, he did not call it the knowledge of the Almighty, the knowledge of the Eternal, or anything else which he could have, but he chose that. There's something so important, so significant about God's holiness. Packard's classic book is called Knowing God. Uh, many are familiar with it. He refers to God's holiness as the attribute of attributes, a very interesting phrase. Interestingly enough, Packer did not write a separate chapter on God's holiness. Uh, the book is a larger book, not too large, but it's lo much larger than uh, uh, Tozer's Knowledge of the Holy. But yet, as much as he wrote, he did not write a separate chapter on God's holiness. What he chose to do, this is quoting him, he chose to mix the subject of holiness into his treatment of everything else, and therefore, because it was the attribute of attributes. So it's throughout the book, the idea. Why did uh, Reginald Heber, that's the man who wrote the hymn, Holy, 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 why did he... Uh, write this word, holy, holy, holy. Why did he start with that, with that same three words, holy, holy, holy? You probably know the answer, but I'm going to say it anyway for those that don't or those that need reminding. Um, back to Isaiah, Old Testament book of Isaiah. Uh, the sixth chapter of Isaiah, I, Isaiah describes the vision uh, that he has of the Lord and uh, his, his commission from the Lord. This is a fantastic chapter. Uh, one that we ought to read periodically, Isaiah chapter 6. It's tremendous. Um, I'm going to read just verses 6, pardon me, chapter 6, verses 1 to 5, but there's more that should be read. Um, but it's a historical thing. He, where he places the time in history when this happened. I won't describe it when King Uzziah died and so forth. And, and he had this, this vision. Listen to his words. I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. This is not the temple in Jerusalem. This is the heavenly temple, part of his vision. Above him, above the Lord, stood the seraphim, or angelic beings. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost. I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. End of quote. Notice that Isaiah didn't say something like, Oh, cool, look at that. When he saw this, when he heard that holy, 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 and he saw those angelic beings and all the things he saw there, woe is me, I am lost. When he saw God, the awesomeness, the holiness of God, his response was, woe is me, I am lost. Why the uh, 
threefold repetition, holy, holy, holy. Uh, clearly, it's for emphasis. Uh, some have said the threefold repetition may be taken as a suggestion of the Trinity in the New Testament. I don't give a whole lot of weight to that. Um, just that statement alone that it might be taken as a suggestion is pretty weak. We don't know. But it's tremendous in itself with what it does with the emphasis. Um, there's times in Scripture where words are repeated for emphasis. The first one, of course, that comes to mind is Jesus saying, truly, 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 I say to you. He did that a number of times for emphasis. This is what some, uh, some of the commentators say regarding uh, this threefold emphasis I just referred to from Isaiah chapter 6. Repetition in Hebrew, as in other languages, provides emphasis, and in this case, the superlative holiness of God. Not just he's holy, but the superlative holiness of God. Another writer says, the triple repetition underscores God's infinite holiness. And finally, another commentator says, a threefold repetition is the strongest sort of superlative. Nothing is as holy as God. You, none of these men, they're all very articulate, but writing the superlative holiness of God, God's infinite holiness, nothing as holy as God. They're saying things uh, correctly. There's nothing incorrect there, but they can't even explain that. It's beyond words. It's beyond my words saying what you know, their words say, and yet it's a true thing about God. Uh, there's one other time in Scripture where a word is repeated three times. Uh, you certainly may remember that one, too. It's well known. Um, and that's in the New Testament. Isaiah was Old Testament. New Testament, in the book of Revelation, the revelation of Jesus Christ. The Apostle John, he's an older man by the time of this uh, revelation to him, this vision. And uh, he describes a vision of heaven. And in the fourth chapter of Revelation, of the book Revelation, he writes, I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, and one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and seated on the thrones were 24 elders clothed in white garments with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder, and before the throne were, were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal, and around the throne, on each side of the throne, four living creatures, angelic beings here. The four living creatures, and then it goes on to describe them just incredibly. I won't read it. The, the description, day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. Only two times in the scripture where a word is repeated three times. Isaiah 6.3, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And this one I just read, Revelation 4.8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was, who is, and is to come. Let me give you one more key passage, not repetition, but a key passage regarding God's holiness. Because I really want to stress the point of how important that is. It's something we don't normally think of. I certainly didn't. 
uh, until I searched the scriptures more, searched other writers, you know, listened to messages, sermons, all those things, and started realizing that. In Exodus chapter 14, Exodus in the Old Testament, the Lord had miraculously parted the seas and uh, saved uh, the Hebrews who went through uh, the sea on dry land. And, of course, the Egyptian army uh, perished in that sea afterwards. But it was miraculous. And in Exodus 14, uh, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The next chapter, chapter 15, begins, Then Moses and the sons of Israel sang this song to the Lord. And in the next 11 verses, there's a, a song celebrating God's incredible, spectacular victory, that deliverance through the Red Sea. And then verse 11 which is where I was heading, Exodus 15, 11, singing the song, how tremendous what God did, delivering them. Who is like you among the gods, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in praises, working wonders? Majestic in holiness, glorious in holiness. Those aren't questions, are they? You can tell that. Who is like you? He's not saying, that's not a uh, question. It's, a, it's an exclamation. Who is like this? Who does this? When he says, who is like you among the gods, the scriptures, we won't go into the scriptures there, but part of this judgment against Egypt was against their gods. They had numerous false gods. Uh, there was judgments during the plagues, and, and all of the gods were judged. So it was much more than just the Egyptians being bad people, but uh, it was more than that, the false gods. But who is like you among the gods, Lord? Nobody is like God at all. Uh, I just read a new term. I learned a new term called uh, the formula for incomparability. That's saying, <laughs> this is a theologian thing, so you can, uh, don't worry about this. Who is like you? You're asking a question because the answer is clear. There was no one like you when that question is asked. No one at all like God. In our, in our next lesson, we're going to uh, continue on and try to understand his holiness. Uh, it'll be tremendous. I just read through this. I feel like I read it fast. I'm not sure if it was clear. But I think I'm going to end there anyway because, uh, <laughs> boy, I thank God for the opportunity to do this. You know, it, it's still challenging talking to a camera with nobody in the room. Uh, boy. I miss the people connection. I know that you do as well. Um, I will say before ending, uh, I do have handouts uh, again for God is Holy. This was part one. We'll have part two uh, next of God is Holy. Um, the two handouts, let me just explain them. One of them is kind of the standard handout I've done um, describing what it means about God being holy. Things we haven't covered in this lesson, but I plan to cover in the second lesson. The other handout is, is kind of different. The whole thing is uh, scriptures, uh, selected scriptures, because the Bible is full of scriptures regarding God's holiness, but a whole lot of scriptures about God's holiness. Now, in the handout, they're summarized. You ought to read them in the 
your Bible, read the full things because I don't can fit them on the one page. But it's uh, tremendous just to read those and begin to get this grasp of what it means that God is holy. So uh, I'll pray you'll take a look at that. And, and during the next one, especially uh, these handouts to be, be clear what's being said there. Okay, so thank you very much. See you next time. Thank you, Father. Help me to be clear here and help us to understand, God. Amen. Amen. Oh,